from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. A familiar reading from Paul's words to the church in Corinth. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Thank you, Rob. Our second text is from the Gospel of Mark, the 12th chapter, verses 28 through 34, page 46 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along as I read aloud. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. One of the scribes came near and heard the disciples disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open uh, your word afresh to us this day. 
so that we may hear it anew and that it may, by your grace and power, transform us into different people than those who came into this sacred space, those who tuned in remotely, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, as I alluded to in the announcements, we begin uh, today a six-week sermon series and conversation series inspired by a curriculum published by HarperCollins called Share the Dream. Uh, many of you know this, but this past August 2023, uh, we marked the 60th anniversary of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, and that curriculum was released concurrently with that uh, anniversary. Uh, the curriculum is there to help us, I believe, to both remember and recover uh, for our divided and our fractured time six essential theological principles that shape the dreams and the ministry of Dr. King. Those principles are love, conscience, freedom, justice, perseverance, and hope. And we're going to cover these six principles in successive weeks. We're also going to have a conversation group uh, that will begin uh, next Sunday, January 14th, uh, and it'll run on those successive Sundays through February 11th from 5.30 to 7.30 in the orchestra room. And these are going to be led by uh, Drs. Chris Holmes and Barry Gattard. And, and the idea is to bring the larger community together in dialogue and conversation around these six principles, leveraging this curriculum uh, for our faith and our life together. I'm also pleased that our single adult ministry led by our pastoral resident, Calicia Wright, will also start a series next Sunday on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Uh, here on campus working through the same curriculum. For my part today, we, we kick off the series with the first principle, and that is the principle of love. And of course, uh, we have to begin with love because love is the first principle of the Christian life. Love is the very first principle of the Christian life. Love is the way of God, full stop. Because God, as the scriptures say, is love. Love is what we declare has been experienced for all eternity and all of time for infin infinity. Uh, love is what the Trinity experiences with that divine community, creator, redeemer, sustainer, father, son, and Holy Spirit. And it is divine love that is the impetus for the creation. It's divine love for the Big Bang, to be the Big Bang, for, for us to be us, for us to even be here today. It's, it's the impetus of love. Love is the motivation for creation. Love is also the motivation for the incarnation. We spent multiple weeks in this past season, this Advent and Christmas season, talking about the Word becoming flesh. That activity, that historic moment, that declaration in and as Jesus Christ is motivated by God's divine love. Love is the motivation of the resurrection, which proves that love is stronger than the powers of hell and the powers of death itself. Love is the impetus for the election of Israel. It's the impetus for the missional mandate of the Christian community, that cohort of saints and sinners that, that we belong to, called to bear witness to this love. 
in our life together for one another, for our city, and for the world. Love is the first principle of the faith. Love is what gives the Christian life some semblance of order. Love is the gravitational center that keeps the Christian life from descending into the chaos of absurdity and irrelevance. Dr. King once described himself as an extremist for love, taking his cue, of course, from the extreme love of God made known to us in Jesus Christ. For in King's opinion, it was Christ who was the ultimate extremist for love. And and Christ's call to his would-be followers is crystal clear. We heard that mandate once more from the Gospel of Matthew. These two great commandments, first and foremost, love God. Love God. And second, love your neighbor as you love yourself. To be an extremist for love means to take these commands literally, to take them seriously, to make them the cornerstone of our ethical and moral life. Now, one of the critiques of Dr. King that's levied today in some uh, corners of the academy by some scholars, by some thinkers, is that Dr. King wasn't extreme enough. Perhaps you've heard someone speak like this or have read an article to this end that he wasn't radical enough. Their critique assumes that he was too conservative in some regards. And King was, in certain ways, conservative. He was conservative in his core conviction that the reception of God's love and devotion to God can actually change a human heart. He believed that this same heart, when engaged in the ministrations of neighborly love, could change the person being loved as well as the one doing the loving. That's more of a conservative approach to things. This idea that the transformation of a family, of a community, of a society, of a nation, of a planet, happens one person at a time. One heart at a time. And King believed that only love could accomplish this transformation. It was his conviction that the core problem we faced is humanity's sinfulness, our inhumanity toward one another. For King, the human soul is sick and it needs to be healed. And it's that sickness, he would argue, that created segregation. And it's that sickness that still creates racism and demonization and hate and violence of all kinds. And that sickness, in King's opinion, could not be cured by the government. That sickness could not be cured by the government. That, that sickness could only be cured by the love of God, which transforms the human heart, turns enemies into friends, and provides a divine, eternal purpose for the life that we've been called to live. Now, I want to be clear on this point. It doesn't mean that unjust laws or unjust policies should go unchallenged or that political advocacy is somehow outside the sphere of the Christian life. Quite the opposite. Laws and policies that are antithetical or that contradict or don't live up to the standards that we agree on as citizens should be challenged. We have a moral obligation 
both as Christians and as citizens of this world and this nation and this city to do such a thing. And that's precisely what King was leading on in the civil rights movement. But King was also not naive to the fact that laws and policies that promote justice and equality, while essential, while we need to fight for them, they inherently are not designed or implemented to change a person's opinion or their prejudice or their hate. Only love can do that, not the law. I want to give a very local example of this. Um, our general contractor in phase one of our renovation and construction project is a group called Heritage. And they are, thank God, close to completing the renovation work on the Smith Building in the next few weeks. And for those who are unfamiliar with this project, we invested $9 million of a $36 million capital raise to do a complete and total renovation of all four floors of the Smith Building, this building that opened in 1999. The first two floors will be dedicated to continue our community ministries outreach, which serves over a thousand of our most vulnerable neighbors each and every month. Part of the second and the entirety of the third floor will be dedicated to our community partners, Samaritan Counseling Center, Johnson C. Smith Seminary, and Child Spring International. The fourth floor will have nine studio apartments to temporarily house women rent-free for six to 12 months while they work to get back on their feet. Now, those who've been around know this to be true. It used to be the case that when our friends were coming for weekly community ministry services, they entered the Smith Building through a windowless back staircase off of 16th and Art Center Way. It was an undignified way to enter the building. In fact, I've often said that it was one of the most unchristian things this Christian congregation did. Our friends entered not through the main entrance, but through a fire escape so as to not be seen or heard from by those accessing the building through the lobby. When we were working to design new space, we knew this had to change. We knew it had to change. And when it opens in just a few short weeks, all patrons of the Smith Building will enter through the main doors, which will also have in due time ADA accessibility when we get to phase two of our project later this year. Now, we can change policies. Like we can change standards. We can change practices. And we're doing that. And we should constantly be doing that. But that won't necessarily change someone's opinion. It won't change someone's prejudice about someone who's living on the streets or someone in need of mental health care or someone who needs a place to access affordable food or safe lodging for a time. These policies and practices and standards are absolutely necessary, but they won't necessarily change someone's opinion or prejudice about those who are racially or ethnically or economically different than they are. Now that change occurs when God's love is embraced, when God's love makes the stony heart bleed and the hard heart soft. It happens when the love of Christ lives in me and in you and through us 
And when we see the other as one deemed worthy of love because they are. True transformation and change happens one heart at a time, one person at a time, through the embrace and evidence of divine love. Some of you uh, may have seen uh, a piece in the New York Times. Uh, it came out, I think, on New Year's Day. It was written by Adam Grant. And the title of the piece was, That Numbness You're Feeling? There's a word for it. Uh, the essay was ultimately about something psychologists call empathetic distress. And it's the state of hurting for someone else, but also simultaneously knowing that you can't do anything about it. Empathetic distress. And, and many experience this problem on a, on a grander level, right? Problems like war, problems like global suffering, large-scale social strife or national political discord. We hurt for those who are experiencing those things, but also at the same time feel like we can't do a thing about it. That is empathetic distress. Grant, who's a professor at the Wharton School at the University of Penn, wrote about how he recently received an email from an old friend, and I want to read an excerpt from this piece. He said, in the midst of the recent turmoil on college campuses, I got an email out of the blue from an old friend named Sarah. Recognizing the impact on me and my students, she wrote, nothing more to say really than I just wanted to send along a big, big hug and just a reminder that I love you and your family so very much. And then she added, if I can ever be an ear to talk to, I'm all in. What struck me about this part of Grant's essay was how this one friend chose an act of love that wouldn't solve the strife being experienced on college campuses, but that would let one person living in the midst of that strife know that he was not alone and that he was loved. What struck me was that Sarah did not choose an action or apathy in the midst of empathetic distress. She made a different choice, the choice to love, one-to-one, person-to-person, heart-to-heart. A few weeks uh, before Christmas, we, we had a, a guest speaker for our men's ministry breakfast, Reverend Dr. Damon Williams uh, is a good friend of mine. He serves as the senior pastor of the Providence Missionary Baptist Church, a historic church here in Atlanta. He is also the associate dean for inclusive excellence and a senior lecturer in the School of Industrial and Systems Engineering at Georgia Tech. So basically, Damon is an underachiever. Uh, Damon gave a powerful talk to our men's ministry about he was, about how rather he was tired of dreaming. How he was tired of dreaming. The reference was to Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. And he most certainly wasn't denigrating King's dream, but what he was saying was that now is the time to stop dreaming. Now is the time for action. Now is the time to wake up and love, to become extremists for love in our families, congregations, and communities. And his talk actually reminded me 
something Dr. King said in his book, Strength to Love, published many years ago, but still has great import today. These are King's words. One of the great tragedies of life is that people seldom bridge the gulf between practice and profession, between doing and saying. On the one hand, we proudly, rather, profess certain sublime and noble principles. But on the other hand, we sadly practice the very antithesis of these principles. He said, how often are our lives characterized by a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds? We talk eloquently about our commitment to the principles of Christianity, and our lives are saturated with the practices of paganism. This strange dichotomy, this agonizing gulf between the ought and the is, represents the tragic theme of humanity's earthly pilgrimage. That gulf needs to be bridged, and it's bridged by love by action now, one-to-one, person-to-person, heart-to-heart. As I close, I'd invite you to move into this week thinking about this question. What would it mean for you in your own sphere of influence to become an extremist for love, person-to-person, heart-to-heart? What will it look like to choose love? In the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians that Rob read, with whom will you choose patience? With whom will you choose kindness? With whom will you not be envious or boastful or arrogant or rude? With whom will you not insist on your own way? With whom will you not be irritable? With whom will you keep no record of wrong? With whom will you rejoice in the truth? With whom will you believe something, bear something, hope for something? With whom will you endure something? Now is the time to wake up. Now is the time to become an extremist for love, person to person in the name of our person, Jesus the Christ, heart to heart, so this dream may become more of a reality in your life and in mine. And when it does, it will also become more of a reality in our city and in this world. May we choose love. Amen.